This is The Instigators, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. We are going to Overtime not required in each of the last two Buffalo victories. One against Jack Eichel and the Vegas Golden Knights in Jack's return to Key Bank Center. The other, Marty, outdoors at the Heritage Classic over the rival Toronto Maple Leafs. My sense is the fan base is feeling a little bit better these days. Oh, yeah, and you could feel that Thursday night when Vegas came into the building, but also as I traveled to Hamilton, a lot of Sabres fans in Hamilton at the Heritage Classic and excited for the game. I got to see some of the family members there, so it was great. But again, I wonder if it's hard for a coach to keep the focus in the right direction when there's a lot going on, or if it's easy, you just say, hey, guys, you're fired up, go play. And uh, so I guess having Don Granado on today is the perfect timing for that. We'll ask him all these questions. When you're serious about the game, bet on Buffalo at the only sports books in Western New York. Seneca Resorts and Casinos betting counters are open daily and self-service betting kiosks are available 24-7 at all three locations. Whether you visit Seneca Niagara, Allegheny, or Buffalo Creek, the Sports Lounge features the latest lines and multiple screens so you never miss a play. The sports book at Seneca Resorts and Casinos, where the love of the game meets the thrill of the win. Don Granado. Don, it's great to see you. Thank you for the time on the heels of the Heritage Classic. Uh, years down the road, what's going to be the one takeaway, one thing that'll pop to mind when somebody says, What do you remember about the Heritage Classic? A win for sure. Uh, that was fun. <laughs> I mean, that made it so much more fun. It was, I can remember standing on the bench in warmups with the staff and all the people around and, and the start of the game, the anthems, looking at the crowd and soaking it in and thought what an amazing experience this is to, to have it be a, a rivalry team, um, you know, a game, a venue where both fan bases could be there and thought how special that was. Uh, and then after the game, that was uh, overwhelming. It overwhelmed all of those feelings because you got to see your guys celebrate in, in victory and, uh, that will definitely be the takeaway that the, the fun of that and those guys uh, competing to to finish that game the way they did. OK, because you mentioned the win, I'm going to go hockey specific here. So there's a person on Twitter yesterday asked Duffer and I, hey, I need help. Do you think I should bet the over or the under for the game? And I responded, I said, I don't know. The conditions may make it hard to score goals. But again, goalies with the sidelines, it may be different to make big saves. So. As a coach, how do you game plan and prepare? Because you don't know, like it was snowing in the first period. It's not in the third. Do you adjust the game plan? Do you use different structure and strategies because of the elements? Yeah, you know, it's a, that's a great thought there, uh, Marty, because you really don't know what to do because of the elements. You don't know how strong the wind is and the lighting conditions and the glare and obviously the temperatures. And you don't know how your guys are going to respond to, to any of those because you haven't seen it or the dynamics. How will they be able to keep warm? And, and so, so many different dynamics in it that uh, that's, I mentioned in the post game, the players, and I mentioned in the pregame to our players, you guys have to take over. Uh, there's only so much we can give you as coaches, especially today. There's 82 games in the season, 81 of them. You know, we can give you some consistent stuff today's different. You guys have to take over. You have to find a way within the elements and what goes on out there. Cause we, none of us really know. Um, you know, I leaned on a couple guys that had been in outdoor games. Craig Anderson had some great advice. He said, uh, the, that he wanted past the line. That was that the warmest 
the guys that stayed the warmest probably had the best chance of success, meaning, meaning dress to stay warm. Don't, don't have your body fighting the cold, whether you know it or not. Um, uh, so little things like that, but the, the practice the day before was significant because it was really windy that practice. And what I did in that practice, I guess now you're making me think about it is we just kept switching ends. We just, just said, okay, you guys went line rushes that way, switch D switch forward switch. Uh, and I just kept pushing them through it in, in a pace where they couldn't think anymore and couldn't talk about it. They could talk about it in the locker room after, but I didn't want them standing on the ice saying, wow, what about this? What about that? The puck's not moving or puck's not sitting flat or man, it's hard to skate that way against the wind. So, you know, strategically we, we ran drills in a practice where I didn't want that going on in the practice. I wanted them to go and push through it. Um, who knows if that helped or not, but, but, uh, that was the strategy that, uh, you know, some of the strategy, I guess it went into it from our side. What issues might you have seen in game then? Did you see players struggling in areas of the ice that they typically wouldn't struggle in? Yeah, just fighting perfection. Um, you know, you, you are so acclimated to indoor facilities and the consistencies uh, with that, that, you know, a pass that you make, you're like, I want to make that pass. I know I can make that pass. And then you realize, okay, the ice isn't allowing me to make that pass or the wind isn't allowing me or the snow buildup. And, you know, so we did force some plays in that game. And if there's there were messages on the bench that we, we constantly were harping, you know, simple, direct ahead uh, shots over passes, you know, lots of different things conceptually that we were barking at them um, through the course of the game. Vinny Henestrosa's goal from the goal line, a perfect example is set both his goals, Vinny. You know, we were saying just put pucks, make them make saves, make them make mistakes, uh, which which another way to say it, just put pucks where we could pursue them, put pucks where they had to turn and get them, uh, make decisions, uh, feel pressure. Uh, so, yeah, they're, you know, tactically, we were pushing them to do things. Um, but again, internally, they're fighting uh, what is so normal for them uh, to play a different game. So you you, you can't complicated from the coaching side or I didn't want to and, and drive it too hard because I knew they had to acclimate themselves. Donnie, you look good. I have to admit uh, the whole setup was awesome from head to toes with the, sh the glasses were uh, probably the focal point and no pun intended there. Uh, I thought I looked good. I had my 2018 winter jacket on. You sound, you sound disappointed in saying that I, I might look good. No, I thought I looked good. I, I, and then I saw yeah. you coming oh, out for okay. warm up and I was like, yeah. there he goes, stealing the show again. You know, that's the way it goes. Uh, completely but accidental, Marty, completely. I apologize. Completely accidental. <laughs> I had those prescription glasses made for fishing, for fishing. Oh, Marty. No. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, well, they they're worked blue out pretty lenses. good for hockey. Blue lenses. I can fish at night with the blue lenses and, and still wear sunglasses and take the glare off the water. And uh, so I had no idea uh, that, that people would have uh, took to them or noticed them the way they did. I found out after the fact. So I, I didn't mean to upstage you. I promise you, I can pretty much promise you I won't be able to do that. Oh, you, you've been doing it regularly. I'll be honest with you with the, 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 the vest on and the three quarter zip and the blue glad frame glasses that you wear sometimes. And Duffer is always commenting Oh, Donnie went with the lenses tonight and uh oh, he brought back the glasses. And I, listen, we comment on your appearance all the time. I have you guys fooled because I do not know what I'm doing. I just put stuff together and just walk out there and 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 those things are to stay warm the glasses that i have were picked out by the 
the people at the eye doctor and uh, there I go. Well, You're you way it- smarter than that. And you just gave <laughs> us a soundbite that if manipulated the wrong way says, I don't know what I'm doing. And that's not good. So <laughs> yeah, that's crooked. Brian, we that's make crooked. Sure that always stays in proper context here. It's terrible for you even to think that way, Brian. <laughs> well, that's I, I work, uh, with, you know, I work yeah. with Marty every day. But, and he it, the problem is he shortens everything I say to extend the yeah. sentence his way, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, the I'm trust aware. I put in you guys and, and that's how your mind processes. No, uh, uh, no. and <laughs> as a matter of fact, it's the opposite because I do believe that you have a measure in everything. Like, oh, I should wear with the black frames today. I should go with the blue frames. I should go with- Well, the it frames. starts with looking in the mirror real quick. And sometimes you're like, oh, geez, I forgot to look in the mirror. Am I, am I, is there anything wrong here? And, and you look in the mirror like, okay, is that, does that go? Or does that not, you know, not go? And it's, it's just, just so you don't look bad. That's all. Right. But yeah. uh, a funny story. I'm in Pittsburgh. My brother's an assistant coach, their older brother, Tony. And uh, we're, we're hanging out at the house and I needed something, a shirt. Or he goes, well, just go in my closet. And he had a walk-in closet. And this is maybe seven, eight years ago. And I walk in and all his suits are hanging up. And it's, it's again, it's a, it's a square. I mean, there's clothes hanging all around, right, left, center. And he must have had 30 suits in there. And now he's been in the league a long time. Every single suit was black, <laughs> black. And I just started laughing in the closet by myself. I just started laughing. And he's back in the bedroom and he he knows what I'm laughing at now. And I walk out and I said, you gotta be kidding me. And he says, well, it's just so I don't have to think about what tie to wear. It all matches a white shirt and a tie. So he had black suit after black suit. It's crazy. He really went for the keeping it simple, stupid, right? That's uh, that's the key Jones uh, look for years. Jones, he had one jacket. He actually wore black jeans, so he didn't even have to wear black pants. So uh yeah but uh well i will give you credit for spotting that but also for what you uh what you wear in games and what you wore at the heritage classic because people were commenting and it was all positive and it led to a big win now how was your response to what the guys wore pre-game when they all came out in their flint tropics basketball uniforms like did you know it was happening and how did you respond to that well we 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 knew the other idea got nixed. So then we knew that idea. And then we didn't want to pry because they, they wanted to keep it a tight secret and we were okay with that. So I don't know if any of us as on the coaching staff knew, but we didn't, we knew they weren't comfortable if we pried into it, they were pretty happy. They wanted to keep it the surprise and didn't want it to break. Uh, and I thought it was, uh, outstanding. I mean, uh, pretty neat. I don't know how they got all those jerseys ordered and, and in, but uh, they they did look uniform, uh, definitely. It was a hundred percent that, and I think fans are seeing that more recently and then on the heels of the Heritage Classic as far as how they perform on the ice. Is that a fair statement that there is a building unity for one another under the greater umbrella of the team? Yeah, I, I think. You know, the last few days uh, and even the, the, the increased media access uh, over the last month, uh, you, you know, people are, people are able to see more of what I've seen since last year. Um, this is 
this is how it was. I mean, I said a couple of times in our press conferences last year that you guys see the player when he stands in front of you. And sometimes it's a real challenging thing because you just lost a game. So you can't, you almost have to put on a sad face uh, or people think, oh, how's he going to blow? He's blowing off that loss or he's blowing off a couple of losses. So you, you have to, you know, act a certain way as to not send a negative message. And, you know, it would be a negative message if we're not having success on the ice yet. And you saw behind the scenes, some of that camaraderie and that care for each other. Uh, you'd think, boy, these guys are, are happy. Why are they so happy? They're, the results aren't there. Uh, so I think the timing of all this is perfect. Uh, I think there's been greater media access, but uh, you know, and, and, you know, obviously we've got the results is, is the key component with what I'm talking about or speaking on. Uh, it's, it's, it's been the perfect timing of all of it, but those guys have had a real love for each other since day one. Uh, I mentioned, if you look back in the comments, there were lots of guys that did not want to go home last summer. And uh, the media was asking me last year, coach, how do you motivate your guys with only seven games or eight games left in the season that you're not going to make playoffs? And I said, I don't have to motivate them. They're motivated. They don't want the season to end. And that was last year. So, you know, they, they know this year we've had ups and downs, but they've been dialed in with clarity on, on what we want our identity to be. Some nights, you know, we've been depleted. Let's face it. You know, there's, there's excuses and then there's reality. And the reality is, is nothing to do with an excuse. Uh, we've had, you know, lots of man games missed. I think we're still in the NHL, still leading the NHL with man games missed. We have a young team. We had, you know, goaltending challenges with numbers of guys. Those are not excuses. Those are, those are facts and factors you deal with. And I, I commend our guys for being able to not allow those things or, or negative results or outcome uh, affect their confidence, their growth in the path that we want to be on. And uh, now they, you know, they have a couple of days this week that they can really, uh, our statements not to anybody else, but to them in the room and to us that, uh, you know, it's, it's reassurance that yes, keep doing what we're doing. It's going to turn. Um, and I've spoken a lot about not overreacting and I don't think we've overreacted to anything. And we've taken a lot of heat all along the way or plenty of heat along the way as does every professional team. So, you know, let's balance it out. Let's be real guys. It's, it's normal heat and we're going to have to just deal with it. And I think our guys have done that well. And, I was happy for them. So uh, you talk about post-game press conferences. Um, after the Minnesota game, you came on and you said that compete is in you. And I quote you, you said, it's a freaking desire. It's a will. And you said it like I wrote it down right away. And Duffer and I looked at each other like, whoa, like that was that was a message. Um And we had you on this show before and you talked about the compete that you developed at home playing mini sticks and playing cards and, and everything. Are you yeah. seeing that compete, uh, you know, just growing and growing with the team? And, and when you say that to us, like it's a freaking desire. Do you say the same thing to the guys who use the same words? Do you use the same passion? Well, I don't use freaking, but, uh, it's probably worse, but, but that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, uh, That wouldn't be as impactful, I guess. Uh, so, but yes, I do. I, I challenge our guys a lot. Uh, I challenge them whenever I can, whenever I feel they're strong enough to go after, get after them. And, and one guy really went after last night on the bench. I mean, I went after him was Peyton Krebs. 
And he made a couple of plays. He passed up a shot in the second period yeah. uh, to make a lateral play. He was staring right at the net. And, and then it was a turnover. Fortunately, we got it back in the neutral zone. We went right back in and he did a similar play and turned it over again. And I, I laced into him and he, he, I, I couldn't do that if we didn't have a trust uh, as a coach and a player and, or he couldn't handle it and he can handle that. And what I mean by handle it is he's a creative player. And I said to him, you know, in between periods, he, he's, you know, he, uh, we had a conversation again and he was hundred percent fine. Me getting on him did not rattle him. It did not take him out of his game. That is really, really important. And I said, you know, he, he apologized. I said, you don't have to apologize. Just go play. And uh, I said, it's done. It's, it's done. And I said to him, I said, Peyton, you know, I never want to take away your creativity. You are a creative hockey player. I said, you just have to read situations. And that, that was, that had to be said. So he, you know, he was fine. He moved on. So uh, yeah, I, I do love challenging our guys. Um, you can only push as hard as they can take. And it's part of it is building. And it's not that it's not that they can't take it. It's collectively like where we, you know, if you challenge the, the best player on your team, but your team's not ready to win, it can backfire really quick. So there is a progression of how much you can push. Um, and yeah, that's the way I, that my approach has always been to it. Well, you know, we are talking most specifically about the Heritage Classic because it was the most recent game, but a lot of what you're talking about is not one game specific. And yet the game that preceded the Heritage Classic is going to uh, linger for this fan base for a long time because of how your group responded. And you've already given us some insight into what it was like upon winning the Heritage Classic. Can you do the same and, and perhaps you know, focus on the importance for some individuals and the team, what they felt in their own performance in beating Eichel and the Golden Knights on Thursday? Yeah, I mean, there was there was definitely uh, a lot of emotion. I think going into the game, we wanted to, in both games, we wanted to make sure we controlled our emotion, that our emotion didn't control us. And uh, that is what I was most proud of. In both games, we really immersed in the game and toward the end of the game we're in the zone uh you know we i guess for lack of better description felt like we took the game over uh down the later stages with, with kind of a, a laser focus and, and commitment to see see it through and you know we were really disappointed in vegas the first time and, and um it was coming off where they had we had 11 false positive covid cases uh, we had guys taking commercial flights in the Colorado the game before from, from Arizona. And that, that whole trip was, was, was there was a sideshow going on. And we get into Vegas and all the guys had family in because we we're going on break. Everybody had flights literally right after the game with our, within hours after the game to go to different places for a break. And we went into that game and we really did not have a focus. We, you know, there was so much on everybody's mind. And, and this happens with in every, I don't care how, how elite you are in pro as a pro athlete, you play the two games, you're going to go on a seven day break and your family's there and your flights right after the game, it, it's going to be in the back of your heads. And that was enough interference that our guys were just not on their game in Vegas. And I think they wanted to prove that uh, specifically Alex Tux and Peyton Krebs, I would imagine, uh, who both had outstanding games. And then, yeah, the, the, the you know, Jack coming back home, 
you know, I didn't want our guys to, to have any focus on, on that. Um, you know, we talk about play the game the right way and play the game for the right reason. We, we needed to play to win and focus on the things that win. And so, you know, when I did talk about um, Jack, I spoke as if, it, it, like I just said, it's like every other great player in the league that you play, you have to play them and play the team the same way. And it's no different tonight. It's going to be no different in four days when we go play the out, you know, the outdoor game. And it was no different last week when we played, you know, this great player, that great player. So, you know, our guys, I felt really dialed into that. Uh, and certainly the, the energy in the building was outstanding. And uh, I said it early in the year, the, 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 the passion in the building, um, is, is something that absolutely inspires the players. You feel it on the bench. You feel them, them have more energy and more surges of energy and even recover quicker. They're standing back up on the bench telling you as a coach, like, get me back out there. And, and it's, it's faster in between. So a, a tremendous impact uh, by the crowd that night for us as well. I have a couple of follow-up on that. So I feel like the last week, especially, there was a lot of distractions because you have Vegas and Ico coming in and you have the family skate and you have the Heritage Classics and the traveling and there's a lot of distractions. And do you feel that in certain moments, distractions are good to really put your focus on something smaller because you know there's a lot of noise, then you focus on something that's a little bit smaller, one. And two is... Is the fact that parents and mom and dad and family are in town, did you see a different side of the players? Because I know when my dad, my mom were in town, like, like I, not that I'm, you know, their kid and I'm 15 anymore, but it didn't matter if I was 25 or 35, like, oh, well, mom and dad are in town. Like, I better, better do so, certain good things. So did you see that? Like, first the distractions and then the parents. Yeah, you, you, I do believe you have to, you can consider all those as factors within the preparation. So, you know, knowing those are components that are going to be involved in the player's performance and preparation, you as a coach need to provide every game enough clarity so they can laser focus in on, on objectives. And so knowing, you know, and I mentioned even as we were preparing for Vegas, I was speaking of Vegas and tying in you know, a couple of days after we're going to need the same approach. There's going to be an emotional time with lots of potential distraction that we have to cut through to get to performance. And here's how we want to perform against this team specifically tonight. And you need to paint that picture, I believe, as a coach and a coaching staff and keep reminding those guys of that at the same time. Hey, enjoy your family being here. Enjoy this time. Um, you know, on the, on the family skate the day before, if we're thinking about the, the Heritage Classic, uh, we, we spoke of that. This is a great day for you and your families. Here's the preparation part of the day for tomorrow. And, you know, we, we laid that out real short and sweet and said, go have fun. And tomorrow, here's going to be the plan. You'll have the morning with your families. There's no morning meetings. We're going to meet when we get to the rink and you play, we played Toronto a couple of weeks ago. Here's a B and C uh, we'll talk more then. Um, but keep that in your mind while you're out there having, having fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm very comfortable with our group, you know, and I am because we have lots of competitive people, lots of people that, that everything matters to and uh, great leadership. And, and so as a coach, 
that's all you can ask for is, is those components. Did you, did any of the parents come in and, uh, either, you know, made, uh, you know, parental comments, like, you know, a lot of uh, the kids, mom and dad or whatever, they were their coaches, managers or whatever. And I remember what was it two years ago, like uh, John Tortorella had a long meeting with Pierre-Luc Dubois' dad about how to get him going again. Was there any moments like that that you encountered with some of the, the parents and families coming in? Yeah, there, there was a couple, but nothing, nothing uh, in sight, you know, like that. It was just uh, cordial hellos and talk. I, I don't think there's uh, much need of, of that, but you do know as a coach, I thought of it through the course of the year, and I've done lots and lots of talks with families and, Because the players, the players, we have the players for a couple hours a day and they're influenced by others the rest of the day. And, and you, you need to be, I think, aware as a coach of how, how is your influence in the team's influence in the organization's influence? Where does that weigh to the influences, the other hours of the day for the players? And, and if, if they're influenced the wrong way outside of that, you have got to identify that and then have conversations and work with that. And we have in the past uh, here and, and elsewhere. Um, and I have elsewhere. And it's, it's something that you definitely keep an eye out for, but I can tell you, I don't worry about that at all with our present crew, uh, our present group. Uh, they're, they're very dialed in. We've been able to paint for them or give them clarity on, you know, our expectations now and for them and, and, and moving forward and our excitement for them now and moving forward. So I think we've got a pretty good, uh, you know, we got our players dialed in to our team. And um, so there was only one that Marty, I'll give you one that was, that was fun. Shell Samuelson, who, who, you know, yeah. um, I, I, I praised Matthias and Shell wanted no part of that. The dad, <laughs> Matthias's father. No, oh, he's not playing that good. He's not, you know, And, uh, and, and you and I both know he's playing damn good hockey. He's been really, really good. And, and shell just sees, you know, and, uh, it's a different, different kind of father. He's played in the NHL. So he sees where Matias can be better, or he sees Matias's liabilities and he just can't enjoy enough of what Matias brings right now, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, And I've, in the past, I've had conversations with parents that way, where I said, hey, you're way too hard on your kid. You're, you're looking at negative and, and the, he doesn't deserve that. This case wasn't, was, this wasn't the case. Uh, yeah. Shell, is, Shell knows what he's doing and he's been in the business. And, but it was a fun conversation. So when you start your conversation tomorrow with Matthias, he's like, did you talk to your dad in the last 24 hours? Because I need to know where you are right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he, he, Matthias it just kind of rolls off him. I mean, you see, yeah. you, you can, you could probably pick up on that just by watching him. Um, so it, it doesn't, nothing affects him too much. Um, you know, he, he is a guy that is deeply rooted in his teammates and, and uh, you know, a, a real liking love for his teammates. I mean, that matters most to him um, is how he performs for his D partner and for his goalie and for his teammates. And there is nothing that comes close to influencing him as much is his pride in, in uh, working for them. Well, we definitely saw that this year when Jack Quinn made his NHL debut. And uh, when you're talking about this parental um, 
you know, the relationship between a former NHLer and his son in the NHL. You've piqued my curiosity by talking about the Samuelsons, and I wonder what you've gleaned from the Thompsons over the years, because Tage has made it no secret how often he talks to his dad, who, of course, is still coaching in Bridgeport. And I'm wondering whether you've sensed that uh, the conversations have been that much more positive for Tage here as his progression has been immense this season. Yeah, I mean, first of all, his progression has been immense, and and he, all of the work he's put in for all the years is is what we're seeing. It's not something that he's changed. It's not something that he's done new. He just, he really is just, he he's worked so hard for so long that you know he finally broke through the you know that tipping point. And yeah, his dad was a very very intense hockey player. I've known his dad for, geez, almost thirty years now. Um, we were in a training camp together, you know, back, back in uh, Los Angeles with the Kings. And he had a long professional career, uh, a very tough, gritty player, completely different than Tage. He was a defenseman that was physical and a physical presence. Uh, so I'm not so sure he or, ta- or, or he or I can relate to Tage. Neither of us had the skill and talent he has. So, so we have to both recognize that when we, when we talk to Tage, but uh uh, no, he, he's, they've got a great relationship. I had Tage at the national team program. Uh, so even when Brent would come in, his father, we, we'd sit and chat in the office and, um, you know, kick, kick just coaching ideas around. So no, he's, uh, he's, I know he's been really, really hard on Tage uh, through his upbringing, but uh, I think it's been all, all for the good. That's awesome. Uh, last one for me, I just quickly, because we're talking fathers and he's almost a father figure with the team as Craig Anderson getting his 300 NHL win and the milestone and, and just what he means to, to you as a coach and what he means to the players right now. Uh, and uh, in his role, not just as a goalie, but as, as a leader in the team. Yeah, he, he, I guess to understand he's got a, he's an amazing person, uh, but to understand what he can bring. I think you have to think about how many teams he's played for under duress. The teams have been in pressure situations, uh, whether that be media or fan or through injuries, uh, through injuries himself and just the ups and downs through his career. He's gone through all of that, gained amazing perspective and presence. uh, And he has this inner calm to him. He's got a great sense of humor and plays the game for the right reason. He loves it. He's still playing because he loves it. He could have moved on years ago and and went after something different in life, but this is his number one passion, putting that gear on uh, and playing the game. And our players, we go into games and we map out, okay, this is how we need to play against this team. And then different things happen, different emotions in the game and different situations pop up. You lose two players to injury right away, or you're down to 5D. And, you know, you get a TV timeout and Craig will come to the bench and say the right things to the guys at the right times within the context of what's going on. And our players being young players haven't gone through all those different situations and don't have the, maybe the hindsight of, of to put things in context or perspective in the moment. Uh, and, and he does that. And he, he likes doing that and he's really good at it. Don, you've been uh, extremely generous with your time. As always, uh, my last question would be yes or no. Do you have team building exercises planned for Western Canada? No. Okay. No. You know what? My, my team building, it's a funny, when you say team building, 
every day is team building. I know. Every I know. single day. That's why you're laughing. That well, was you. Did you bait me? Did you no, bait no, me right I'm there, just, Brian? Don, I'm, I'm hoping that if you do you something did, totally. fun together, Look at that, smirk. that you're, you're going to have smirk. like cowboy hats and just, you know, yeah. you're going to share that with us at some hey, point. Hey, getting on the, road, the bus so. to go to the rink for practice should be fun. Getting off the bus yes. should be fun. Getting on the ice should be fun. But you got to get your job done too. So, um, 100%, yeah. but yeah, well no, said. it, uh, everything we do should be team building and that's mm -hmm. the way I look at it. So, well, let me phrase it this way. Keep building, because I think that's what we're hearing from people most often right now, amidst all the different storylines, they see it now. So keep it going. And thank you so much for the time. Okay. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Don's been super generous with his time for us this year. Uh, we thank him greatly for that. Um, you know what else I give thanks for? Giving thanks to my friendship and sense of humor. Keeps you going every <laughs> always, day. Always, always, yes. <laughs> Open lines of communication, 100%. No, I think I'm thankful for the opportunity in our line of work to revisit situations. Okay. Whether they're, you know, to pump up an argument that you made or to deflate <laughs> an argument that one of us may have made. Now, I'm thinking back to a recent round table that we had on a Friday afternoon on the instigators yeah, where when reconsidering the 2015 draft, all of the panelists that we had on that, that day, including yourself still stuck with Jack Eichel at number two behind Connor McDavid, despite many other players who would have, and still have obviously, thrust themselves into that lofty stratosphere of maybe being the guy that should have been taken beyond Connor McDavid. After what we witnessed, and I'll put that in quotations, last week from Jack, do you still believe that answer that you gave? I still believe that answer. Absolutely. The guy had neck surgery and missed a half a season. Has on a nothing team to do with on ice, Marty. Well, with, with, the, with the team that they have, with the multiple injuries that they have. Now, I'll say this. Did I... Was I surprised with his response after the game? A hundred percent. Was I? Now, why were you surprised? Because I thought he had plenty of time to prepare for this game in Buffalo and know and play the, the scenarios in his head and be aware of what was happening. It was a big game. I, you got to be smarter than that than just come out and be sarcastic and the, the head bumping and the like self-gloating and all that. Like, come on now, like you, you're smarter than that, but the player himself. Uh, yeah. And I think there is case to be made for Miko Rantanen and Mitch Marner and Sebastian Ao, and they're great, but I still would go Jack Eichel second in my opinion. What was your takeaway from his reaction, given how it rippled through this marketplace, if not across the entire league? Two things. One, uh, well, it's Jack Eichel. We've seen him, the body language and all with the Sabres. We made some excuses for him over time and saying, ah, he's a competitor and all of that. So one, two, look, he just came off the ice minutes before and a heated battle and he's disappointed and angry, not only that he lost to the Sabres, but that they're losing games as a team and now find themselves out or close to be out on a daily basis uh, uh, of a playoff position. So yeah, I, I, maybe it's not fair 
to have microphones in the guy's face two minutes after, but it's your job. You know, it's happening 82 times out of the year plus practice. Got to be smarter than that. So I guess the biggest takeaway was it's Jack. We know him. We've seen him for now seven years. What did you make of the um, media's portrayal of the circumstances that led to his departure on the eve of him actually playing the game? I thought they, uh, it was a big puff piece. Like uh, to me, it was nobody mentioned or not very many people mentioned that Jack Eichel asked for a trade, that he asked for a trade uh, on what we were told multiple occasion, right? And that's not like just because we are here in Buffalo as Darren Dreger, that's Elliot Friedman. Those guys, they came out and said, yes, the summer before the neck injury. So we're talking about the pandemic hits, the season gets canceled, uh, you know, Patro loses his job. Kevin Adams comes in, meets with Jack, is looking at the roster, says we're probably going to go in a younger direction. And Jack says, I don't want to be a part of it, so you better trade me. So none of that was really brought up. Everybody was saying, oh, this is, you know, it was a tough time with the neck injury and all of that. But to be honest with you, backtrack 12 more months, and you're going to see that, you know, it wasn't as easy as a situation as just having the neck injury, the fusion versus the disc replacement surgery and all of that. Like it was a lot more than just the health of Jack Eichel. Yeah. That to me was very surprising. And, and, and then in wake of everything, which people can judge for themselves, I'm not here to judge it one way or the other, but in wake of what he said in the heat of the moment after a loss, I also found the media portrayal and maybe that's, not the right word in that I'm not basing it on massive stories that were then created, but certainly through social media reaction, I was a tad surprised in the number of people that simply wanted to go down the, oh, it's good versus evil. It's really good for the game. That's, that's not how I look at it. It's, it, Jack could have been the most polite human being ever after the game. It was always going to be good so, versus evil from this point on because Jack was no longer a part of it. What, he's a villain. What, 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 the hockey right, player is exactly a villain. Because he's not here. So what actually people in this market, but apparently not others, were missing was that the people here felt, meaning the ticket-buying public, felt disrespected by those comments. That has nothing to do with a good and evil drama being set up by marvel studios like yeah. you know what i mean like that that's so i'm just as you can tell i i'm i'm in a weird place with how stories are unfolding and or being you know spread across the league right now well i'll say this so i, I said it before the game He's going to get booed as the hockey player and he's going to get applauded as the, the, the person because of the work that he did. They showed it on the Jumbotron, him, you know, being around Roswell, uh, cancer patients, uh, Courage of Curly kids and all of that. Okay. That was fantastic. Now, I didn't like Jack's comments after the game and not a lot of that comment got brought up when he was asked about the video tribute and he said, I'm in my bubble. I'm playing the game. So I didn't really want to pay attention to it. I didn't want to get emotional to it. Bull crap. You know what? Like, how about you look up and you, and you, you take it in because that's your impact. I understand you're a hockey player, 
but uh, you're a human too. And to, to dismiss that after the game, I didn't like it. I, I hated that more than the comments that the sarcastic comments that he made. Why? Because you and I spent the whole second period of that game against Vegas in the suite with the courage of Carly people. Andre the Warrior was there and all of that. Andre wanted Jack to win. He cheered for Jack. He wanted Vegas to win, right? And I'm like, that's the impact that he had on some people. And again, he kind of dissed it and like said, I'll, I'll watch it later. You'll watch it later? Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, how about you look up and you watch it when it happens? That that I didn't like. Yeah. You want to I don't know if that's three. where you I don't I don't know if that's where you were leading me, but no, I, I, had me fired and, up. And, and so. people people may wonder why I'm revisiting it now this week. I will say this on the heels of that game last week, our Friday time slot was a little bit um brief for my liking yes. based on the number of things we already had in the show. So I, I, I'm allowing and, and our lack of broadcasts of late, mm -hmm. we didn't have the opportunity and we would have respond to Eichel's comments in the moment on our post-game show, because we didn't have one on Thursday night. Yeah. We didn't have a buildup to the heritage classic because that was on TNT. I feel like I'm reaching out to you because I think it's important still, and I don't want it to get pushed two more weeks down the road yeah. or late at night on the Western trip when they're in games in Edmonton and Calgary and Vancouver, because we have sometimes a little bit of a different audience based on the hours of the day, given people's work restrictions. So and I, we just, have... I just want to honestly, I really wanted to, to be open and honest about this here because I didn't want people thinking that we weren't ever going to talk about it. We just quite frankly, didn't have a lot of opportunity to do so. Yeah, and right now we're supposed to just do a two-minute closing and we decided right. to take the opportunity. Why? Because it's that important to be yeah. able to revisit. Uh, listen, the fact that, and this is where I, I understand that public relations department around the National Hockey League have a tough job to do, but I will still go back to my days with the New York Rangers where we would get media training that it was that important. John Rosasco was our public relations director and he also had other higher um, roles in the organization. He would organize all of this for us. He stood there. If it was a, uh, somebody that was gonna be asked question, he talked to them, kind of prepared them uh, because that is important. People that say, well, yeah, but that's fake then because you don't, no, it's not fake. It's that sometimes the emotions can take the better of you and not give the right representation of what your ideas and everything are. I'm sure Jack is watching this again. And he says, I was being a, a jerk. I was being a dumbass after the game, but part of it is also, well, sometimes you see somebody's real buildup in the moment of adversity in the moment of emotions, and you have to be able to, to pull that back. So, uh, but the PR for Vegas wasn't even going to make him available to the media. They were going to just stash him and hide him on his return to Buffalo after they lost the game. Like that to me, again, failed on Vegas to go to Jack and say, listen, you're obviously going to talk to the media, but let's make sure we, you know, kind of yeah. say thank you, appreciate it, move on. Like that mm -hmm. and then probably never happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Obviously, it's still very much a talking point. I don't think that's going to change. Uh, you know, when, when you keep running into people you haven't seen for a while, that's going to be a talking point for them for a long time.
because well, I kept saying, because the, the, this community was invested to the nth degree in Jack Eichel. Yeah, it was a significant night at the arena. That's why we're still talking about it. And uh, to be honest with you, I've totally lost where I was going to go with this. Uh, but nonetheless, like it was like this to oh. I said Jack Eichel is the biggest villain now moving forward. And mm -hmm. Vegas is going to come into Buffalo once a year. Yeah. And he will get booed every time. It's not the same as if he come back three or four times a year or whatnot. He's coming back once a year. He will get booed every time. And I had said for the last 15 years, Tom Brady, well, 20 years, Tom Brady was the biggest villain in Buffalo. And mm -hmm. I'm like, well, now that Brady's retired, Jack will be number one villain. Now Brady's coming back. So who's the biggest villain now? Is it Jack? Or Tom, and I think it's Jack because Tom really is not in the same divisions, not in the same conference. So, so oh. Jack Eichel has moved ahead of Tom Brady as the biggest villain. Um, that's pretty significant. Well, in my world, um, I'm my own worst enemy, so that will probably always be the case. Let's get to our uh, three stars of the week. Okay, so my number three star is the family skate at their Heritage Classic because it brought me back to my family skate at the Winter Classic in 2012 and seeing the players' wives and girlfriends and mom, dad, brothers and sister, kids on the ice, uh, the excitement and our social media group did an amazing job to capture all of it for people to see. So number three star is the family skate. Number two star is the Saber, Sabres Flint uh, Tropics outfits that they were, the Will Ferrell look at Semi-Pro. Uh, I thought they looked great. Everybody bought in. Uh, Caloposo with the glasses and Jeff Skinner with the arm sleeve and, you know, the, the sweatbands. It was great. So that's number two star. And number one star is Craig Anderson. 300 NHL win on Thursday night against Vegas. He's at 301 and counting now. Only the 39th NHL goaltender uh, in the history to get to the 300 mark. Pretty significant. Oh, amazing. And honestly, I... I... I gain more respect for Craig with each passing game. And, and, and part of that is, as you well know, from all the people you've met, played with in the game, you're always curious to kind of keep in touch with them, hear their comments on situations. And obviously I, I spent a, a big part of my career in Ottawa and, and to see the reaction from a distance you know, yeah. from people that I have great respect for how much respect they continue to have for Craig after all this time and what he's meant. I, 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 I think those are important moments not to be lost. And I didn't certainly want to put Don on the spot because he's not the GM and the GM has to do what's best yeah. for the team, given any conversation he's having with another GM, but I couldn't help but sit there and think, what or where is Craig Anderson's greatest value for the final 22 games of this year? I know you where know? it is. Yeah. It's in the locker room. It's in the Sabres locker room. I think his leadership um, cannot be measured. And to me that uh, having Craig Anderson in the Sabres locker room this year and explore if moving forward, he could be, around the team more in a, like a player, uh, 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 another role. I think he, he would have great value in that as well. So, and also got to give credit to our game prez, 
uh, the video they oh, put out after goodness. the game yeah. Thursday night yeah. with the yeah. oh, my goodness. It was yeah. all of that, like game presentation, social media. You guys rocked it this week. I'm giving you an honorary star. Hundred percent. Um, and obviously, we you know we've we've we work so closely with them. <laughs> it's just it's funny how and it's not to be taken for granted. It's just you're right, right to acknowledge that in that moment because again, when was the last time you had a moment like that? at the end of a game that was well attended at Key Bank Center where you could celebrate a milestone. Like these things don't happen all the time. Anyway, I don't think I've ever you, seen that happen around the league where a video post game, usually they would celebrate the next game, right? your milestone. Which but in to do it right after, it, it was very cool. And the emotional part of it was, was fantastic. Yeah, it really was. Do you ever get the sense that I'm stalling? No. I think we're just having a good old time. We could keep this going. I could give credit to the stalls as one of my three stars go for it eric mark jordan first trio of brothers to all play a thousand or more games in the nhl wow. how insane is that like honestly amazing. that is like and trust me folks i was not thinking about this one bit since when it happened last week but it just popped into my head like that is so remarkable that that could have happened and the impact that those three have had on so many people. Um, and their, their hometown of Thunder Bay, Ontario. And oh like, goodness, yes. you know, yeah. like it's, let me tell you, look at on the map. It's far. There's is like way West in Ontario. And to know that all three of them got to reach a thousand games is pretty special. Uh, I will kind of duplicate some stuff that we've already done on the air, uh, which I don't like to do, but, uh, the bandits are on a buy this week, so they're not going to get as much time on the instigators this week. So let's do it in podcast form. Uh, Marty, I've watched this game for four decades and this is a, about as impressive. I don't, and I'm not sitting here saying they're going to win the title this year. I, I think there's ridiculous competition that they still haven't bested yet. Um, but they're about as fun to watch as any professional sports team could be right now. And um, it is an absolute treat. It, lacrosse is a game best viewed in person. Yes, I find that anytime that first opportunity to witness it live, uh, it, that resonates with people, whether they have a hint of what it is or no clue at all, it stays with them. So I would encourage people to uh, continue to fill up bandit land. The attendance has been on the rise. It's tops in the league, but uh, still room to grow. So uh Let's let's see a little bit more in that regard. And also because we didn't have a ton of time to do this on the show at any point. Um, whenever I look across the street at Lecom Harbor Center, mm -hmm. I think of one of the truly special first events that was ever held there. And that was Sled Hockey Worlds. Yeah. And witnessing Canada, U.S. for the first time in my life, go head to head for gold was uh, quite honestly, the whole tournament was amazing. Get an opportunity to test what sled hockey was about before the tournament, you know? Um, so I've had a, I've had a real passion for this since being introduced to it right here in downtown Buffalo. And I don't know if I've ever seen a more dramatic finish to any sporting event than when they rallied themselves from sure defeat in the final minute against Canada in 2018 mm -hmm. to score in the last minute and then win in overtime. Declan Farmer was the hero. And now to see 
the U.S. win a fourth straight Paralympic gold. And just to think of, of how much of it was built here in Buffalo as they were, you know, they were bringing in this next wave. I mean, they had the current wave, but we're seeing the fruits of these guys, you know, mm-hmm. who become so significant for this sport moving forward. Canada, U.S. is almost always so close in everything. This became the rare time in an international tournament. It wasn't close. Nope. The U.S. just handled Canada in the first meeting, 5 nothing. in the gold medal game, 5 nothing. Marty, it could have been worse. I've, I, I can't describe to you how, I mean, it was like one in the morning. I'm watching it by myself. And I'm screaming out loud at the violence of the collisions because of the speed <laughs> with which the U.S. was forechecking and backchecking and penalty killing. They killed off five penalties and still kept a clean slate through the tournament, never gave up a goal. And this is Jen Lee in goal. And he, you know, like we, we got used to Steve Cash being the marquee name in goal. And, and, and Lee's been around and now he gets this opportunity and it's perfection. And I just, you know, longtime players like Josh Pauls, who's the captain, mm-hmm. I just, I can't celebrate enough what these players do for their sport and for the, the, the generations that follow in it. It is, it is remarkable. These are amazing athletes. Amazing athletes. I've gotten to uh, see them up close and personal when they had the world championship at Lake on Harbor Center. Uh, I was on the ice to award the player of the game. I got to talk to some of their coaches, got, got to talk strategy, how the stand-up hockey uh, bring in strategy to the sled hockey and how sled hockey could pass on some strategies to the stand-up hockey. And I use the word stand-up hockey because for the sled hockey people, it's not just hockey, what you're seeing on TV. It's stand-up hockey and sled hockey is sled hockey, but hockey at the same level. And very important, and a, if I may, a quick story about Lecom Harbor Center. It was just built, and uh, they came in to do the, uh, the World Championship. And uh, when it was put together, the engineers that built the penalty box built the penalty box wrong. The doors were opening the wrong side. And only when sled hockey came in did they realize the doors are not opening the right side. Because if you open the door... And it's blocking the way to enter to the penalty box. And you have to go around the door and around. The sleds don't allow to do that. So mm-hmm. then they had to bring back the people and switch the doors from the, the, the two penalty box to open the other way so that you can come in right into the penalty box. They added the, the, the plastic floors for the benches, the clear boards, uh, you know, to flip over. So the fact that the sled hockey coming into Harbor Center kind of opened up to the stand-up hockey people, hey, this is not the way this is supposed to be built because we're not the only one using it. Mm-hmm. We have to be considerate of others. Um, I thought was really important as well. Yeah, and I think part of the reason why I simply want to reiterate this is it, it unfortunately, based on the timing geographically of where the yeah. Paralympics were being held, um, I don't think a lot of people saw this live the way we had been fortunate enough to see NBC takes some very progressive steps, proper steps, I might add, in recent years to get this sport live and not buried on a third tier sports channel, right? So this, I mean, NBC Sports Network is now no more, but USA has basically become their second sports channel. So it was, 
I was thankful that it was live on USA Network. I, it was unfortunate the timing happened where it was, you know, in the middle of the night. Yeah. But at the same time, just know that uh, that these players should and are celebrated as much as, uh, you know, these other international standouts we've seen. All right. We might have exhausted the podcast length for all platforms. We, no, there's I, no I, length. I, there's no limit. Are you sure? I'm 100% sure. Or we will have to edit that part and then I won't be wrong on the podcast. <laughs> All right. I think this is time to go. Are well, you ready to Duffer, go? I'm ready to go. A great time with Don Granado, a couple of big wins, hopefully more on the West coast to come for the Sabres. And then when they return home, hopefully this energy that's building is in the building with all the fans. And we gear up for April 1st when RJ's uh, banner is going to be raised. I had so many people in Hamilton that says we got our tickets. For RJ Knight, people from Hamilton, Ontario, from Buffalo that were there. So I want the place back on April 1st. Let's go get your tickets. Maybe next week on Instigators Overtime, we'll be sharing some unique stories about Sabres after dark. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> this has been Instigators Overtime presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. We'll see you soon.